why isn't this meeting talking about the handing out what you have so far as a draft plan so that we can look at that? Why are we talking about a rubric when we should be talking about hearing what you are putting into a master plan okay, that so right now has no transparency? The, the they are really focusing on this rubric, but we don't understand how decisions are really going to be made in terms of, you know, schools closing, schools merging, schools moving or you know major renovations they're talking about the student experience but literally there's schools right now that have molds that you know have flies in the kitchen that are you know really like falling apart literally and you're not telling us what's the plan what's the timeline to get those buildings repaired you're telling us that you're going to decide based on this rubric but are these going to be like surprises for the school communities, you know, because that's what's been happening. That's nothing new. I'm Jill Shaw, and you're listening to Last Night at School Committee. Ross Wilson and I are here to summarize for you what happened last night during the Boston Public Schools School Committee meeting. Hey, Ross, good morning. Good morning, Jill. So, Ross, last night's meeting was all about a new rubric from Boston Public Schools, which they say they'll use to make decisions about school closures and mergers and new construction. This followed a series of public meetings where people weighed in on the draft of the rubric. And our producer, Jay, went to last week's meeting in a new feature that we're calling Jaywalking. And the quotes that you heard at the top of the episode are from people he spoke with at that meeting. We'll come back to this topic later in this podcast. You'll notice a stark difference between the passion and emotion from the public on this issue compared to the presentation from BPS to the school committee. Yeah, Jill, it was really fun to hear those comments. I'm glad Jay Jay did such a good job there. Jay walking. So if the public sees Jay, please talk with him. Please say hi. The meeting opened with a report from Superintendent Skipper, and then Chair Robinson spoke about the visit she and Vice Chair O'Neill made to the McCormick School, a school whose renovation plan has started and was never completed. And many have been commenting in public about how, how they're concerned about this, how they're, I, mean, I think at the last meeting, Jill, we heard all of these community members and teachers from the McCormick saying, when are we going to get our building that yeah. you've been promising us? Let's play that quote from Ms. Robinson. These young women that we talked to were very elegant in their reflection mm-hmm. and their description of the way that being in this building makes them feel and being in those new spaces make them feel and, and they question what is wrong with them that the district did not keep their funds. Then the meeting moved to public comment where many were there to testify about the ongoing issues of the exam school application requirements, which many find unfair and exclusionary. Rachel Skerritt, the former head of Boston Latin and a member of the task force who helped design the new policy, told the Boston Globe last week that district officials should consider adjusting the policy. When you have students getting upwards of 95 out of 100 and not having access to any of the exam schools, it necessitates revisiting some of the details of the policy. I read her quote with tears in my eyes because she's talking about my daughter. Yes, Jill, this topic does not go away. And then there was this comment about the decision to include 10 bonus points, which this commenter called arbitrary. It is the value of 10 points that is unfair, not the concept. A bonus to Title I applicants is sensible, but the value of the bonus needs to be based on data. I have discussed the 10 points with Michael Contapassis and Rachel Skerritt of the exam school task force, and both confirmed to me that the number 10 was indeed chosen arbitrarily. 
and a third comment about moving forward with a sense of urgency to solve for the unintended consequences created by the initial policy. In the November 1st memo, the 10 bonus points are not explained and task force members themselves have admitted the numbers are arbitrary. No, I don't want you to write an additional memo. I'm begging you to use the data we have now on the tiers that exclude students and make it right so they can attend now or next year at the latest. I'm begging you to think about what you would do if your child was in a tier that was specifically excluded with firm facts showing the exclusion, like getting 100.2 to get in. It's impossible. Like it, you, you have to do something about it. You have to do something about it. Member Cadet Hernandez, who has been asking the committee to consider a policy change, asked the superintendent, what is our path forward? I'm just curious, like, what's our path forward? I'm committed to, since raising this since June, like get to yep. a policy change, even if it's incremental. I'm glad we've moved past this like brouhaha of we can't talk about this for five years and we can start actually governing in a way, even if there are small changes year by year, to do something that feels right for families, particularly the ones who we want to impact our poorest students in the system. And the superintendent replies. It is all being actively looked at and, you know, in the in a uh, future school committee near future school committee, we will update on what some of those recs can be. We're also looking um, and having some conversation with some grad schools about um, potentially having some resource and teams to be able to come up with some creative ways of looking at things with um, with points, um, but also, I think, with uh, the issue of the data. Um, so I think we're, we're trying to kind of put it all on the table to figure out what's possible. Jill, I'm not really sure what we want our grads, our grad schools to be looking at here and why we need further research. We have the data. The issue has been identified and there's a proposal on the table to fix it. What else do we need? I think the superintendent is basically saying, let's go ask some universities to simply keep this well, from not being solved. Isn't the onus a little bit, though, on member Cardet Hernandez at this point? I mean, he's been pushing the issue. He can make a motion. Jill, it's, it's on all the members. It, yeah. it, you know, we've heard three members or, or more say this policy is not working. Yeah. It's not equitable. We should be giving the points to the kids who need them most. It, it's not working out the way it was maybe intended or unintended. Uh, we should fix it. And to do that, Jill, you make a motion. As a member, you say, I'm making a motion to the board to vote on a policy change that will make the points go to the kids who need them, that will make the points to go to the kids who need them, right? not to kids who are middle income or upper income. And I'm waiting for some school committee member to make that motion. You're describing the actual process. Yes. Like this is what we yeah, have so to Yeah, so hopefully happen. at the if next meeting, they'll, they'll do it. I mean, if not, this will keep going on and on and on until someone makes a motion. Right. I don't think the public's going away on this one. It doesn't seem like it. it I mean, we've been covering it just over and over and over again. In addition to the many comments on the exam schools, there was public comment referencing the human capital presentation from the last meeting. Now BPS refers to Black teachers as Garrity teachers. This label is a deeply offensive reminder of the district's historical racial animus and outright contempt for Black educators. Jill, I completely agree with Ms. Bazil. There are also numerous public comments referencing the main presentation of yesterday's meeting, a facility assessment rubric. Ruby Reyes, director of the Boston Education Justice Alliance, offered this expression of dissatisfaction with the district's ability to deliver on its promise for a master plan during public comment. This decision is under your watch. You can't pretend you don't know. 
A rubric is not a plan. An equity planning tool is just a document until it is used. Saying community engagement doesn't make it real. Acknowledging that you should do better doesn't mean you are. Verbally saying that you are committed to anti-racism and equity, and then considering a proposal to move the most racially and neurodiverse of the exam schools to a mostly white neighborhood of West Roxbury is not living that commitment. Promises are just lies until they are kept. And John Mudd reminded the committee during public comment that you cannot build a master plan without concrete data. It is impossible to do real planning without enrollment data. People don't want to go through exercises on abstract rubric. People want to see concrete plans for their schools and their neighborhoods. Following public comment, school committee heard a presentation on the rubric, and then school committee member Cadet Hernandez tried to understand how the rubric fits into the required deliverable of the master plan to the Department of Elementary and Secondary Education by the end of the year. He also represented that the public is trying to understand what puzzle we are trying to solve. And I think like there's an incredible hunger for the puzzle. Like what's the puzzle? Mm -hmm. But I guess in this, is there ever like a denominator? Like, is it ever like we have to get to why? And so we're using this tool to run a bunch of scenarios or is it that then it's just an exercise in running scenarios, which is fun, but it sort of is like monopoly. It's like, what could you do if you had to do it? And then you're just like clicking around versus like, what are we actually trying to solve for? He then suggested that this seems almost like busy work, like something to do to avoid the hard work of building a master plan. It's like business as usual, just with an added layer, like an, and maybe even like analysis paralysis or something, right? Like there's just another added layer to still doing small batch decision making. And then he and Rebecca Granger, who works for Mayor Wu, have this exchange about the data used to build the rubric. Just to clarify, does it then flag demand data? Like like the demand for a school? Because then you, does that make sense what I'm saying? It's not just like who the kids are, but like where are families, where do families want to be? Yeah. It, versus where are families just placed? It's a very different, I don't know if the if the system allows for that type of flag. That's a different. Yeah, no, it, it doesn't at this time, um, but we should definitely mark that down and think about it. Tension seemed to grow as school committee members tried to wrap their heads around the usefulness of the rubric. I mean, my question would be then, how are we defining like what the end goal is? Are we saying that every school in the district has a feasible program? Is that how we're defining like what our what our end target is? And can our tool then predict or at least estimate what the timeline would be for each of those either renovations or new buildings? Can it even project out something like that? And I don't, I mean, you probably could, but I'm not sure that even then that it's reliable. The tool does not um, measure time. Um, it helps to um, make evidence-based um, decisions and investments. Evidence-based? I don't know. It, what, what evidence? Yeah, I mean, Jill, so, so it, it, it's not demand data. It's not enrollment data. There's no timeline on there's how to get this there's done. No budget. There's no budget. There's like, no budget. So what is it? Well, they, it, and they started the presentation, BPS started the presentation by quoting the mayor or Green New Deal, there, but no, nothing, nothing about 
where money is coming from to make any changes. This is not a plan, Jill. This is like a conceptual, a a basic conceptual framework. um, It's a rubric. At the best. Yeah. Well, this led to an interesting back and forth between member Brandon Cardet Hernandez and Superintendent Skipper. First, Mr. Cardet Hernandez asked this. I'm trying to figure out two things. I guess as we get ready to submit in December to the state, I can imagine a universe where they're like, well, when is there a master's facilities plan? As I was asking about a a more transparent timeline of like how this tool will be applied in building a master's facilities plan. And Superintendent Skipper responds. Right. So we certainly we know that that is a goal, right? We we want that as well. Um, we have not talked about at what point that would be produced or even in draft. But member Cadet Hernandez wasn't satisfied with this answer. And he and the superintendent continued to go back and forth. Here are some highlights. Given the pressure to have a plan, like it will just be very difficult. It will be very difficult for us to go into another year. And again, this some of this predates you of having the last superintendent tell us there was going to be a master's facilities plan and that those proposals were the last proposals we were going to talk about without a master's facilities plan so that we could look community members in the eye when they came here and they're like, why my school? What puzzle piece does this fit into, into a puzzle? And to just say like, don't worry, the what well, the puzzle's coming. The decision was made with good thinking and analysis, which is real. But like, we're still not showing anyone what the puzzle is. What does it mean? What are we trying to get to? And I respect that you can't answer that. But I, you know, as a member, it's like, it puts us in a hard place. I do think by the spring, though, we will be able to give a sense of the overall system of what we're looking for in terms of optimizing the system for X number of students. It will be hard to go into those conversations without that clarity. Yeah, that's right. And I think the reason why the regional piece is like important to look at is that you have some regions where you have lots of opportunities, right, with the buildings, um, but you don't have the school population. And so if we're thinking about kind of close to home, that mile, um, and then when you apply at the high school level, it's really different, right? Like if what we want is quality options of high schools in local neighborhoods, which sounds great, right? The high schools probably are the most complex because of the amount of empty seats, right? Ross, you know, so Superintendent Skipper does outline a vision for what this is all supposed to look like, right? Like, what is the master plan? These are the same things, by the way, that have been floated by education executives in Boston since I've been paying attention, and I'm guessing before then, too. Neighborhood schools that kids can walk to. High-quality high schools for everyone, but less of them because there are not nearly, because none of the high schools are nearly close to full. And so the money that you allocate to all these high schools doesn't allow for things like AP courses in most schools or extracurriculars in most schools. You know, or high quality learning environments for that matter. You know, the thing that they were actually talking about last night. This is a vision. This, if you put meat around this, write it down, put meat around this, it would turn into a master plan. I agree, Jill. We, we heard repeatedly last night that BPS has an issue with keeping the community's trust. And this gets to the heart of why. Because high level conversations and shiny new tools without specifics that affect real students just leave families frustrated. So then Vice Chair Michael O'Neill comes back to this point at the end of the meeting. 
this city, this district does not have the trust factor with our public to be able to say, we're going to close, we're going to merge, but don't worry, we're going to build you something new. Mm -hmm. And as we talked about even earlier today, I think this committee struggles with the trust factor, let alone our greater public. So there's one month left in the year. And as far as the public and the school committee have heard, BPS is required to submit a master facility plan to DESE by the end of the year. If there's no plan and only a rubric, will DESE accept it? And member Chantel Lima Barbosa asks, will there be any penalties from DESE for presenting them with an insufficient plan? Superintendent Skipper says, no, DESE will understand. So there won't be any like and penalties like... No, there's been no indication of that. Like they, they understand the magnitude of the work. I mean, I can't imagine in what world we could have had an entire master plan. Um, in Desi's world, maybe? It's in the systemic improvement plan. It was signed by Desi. It was signed by BPS. All right, Jill, we'll, we'll have to see if uh, the rubric, this conceptual rubric, satisfies the requirement that Desi put forward to have a master facility plan in one month. Well, stay tuned. And that's what happened last night at the Boston Public Schools School Committee meeting. We want to hear from you. If you have thoughts or concerns about how BPS is serving your student, please send us an email at podcast at shawfoundation.org. That's S-H-A-H foundation.org. Thank you for listening to last night's school committee. We hope that you enjoyed today's podcast. And if you did, please rate, review, like, and share it with your fellow friends, parents, and residents of Boston. We all have a stake in the future success of Boston's students. Have a great day. 